Welcome to the show. This is a very special episode because it celebrates our six-month anniversary. So far, we've had 26 episodes on everything from nutrition to exercise to mental health and injuries and illness. So today, we're going to look back at some of the most impactful information our guests have provided. Each segment's going to deal with a different area of health. First, we'll start with exercise, then we'll talk mental health, then nutrition, and finally, we'll speak to our doctor friends about some of the health conditions we've covered so far. It's a full episode, so let's get to it. In one of our first episodes, we talked with Dane Woodland, who's a personal trainer, and Vic Sajpal about some of the tips that they think are most relevant for us when we're exercising at home. Each individual has to train differently. You have to train within, you know, your goals, your physical ability, whether you're dealing with chronic illnesses and that sort of stuff. And I would say for most people, you know, you just start with one or two exercises. Like, you know, say today I'm going to do sit-ups and maybe add a little bit of push-ups or maybe, you know, hold a plank or something like that and then slowly build up and add each exercise. And then it depends on your level of training. If you're a person who goes to the gym every day, yeah, sure, go pick 15, 20 exercises. So I think you've got to be modified to the individual. Uh, I bet you Dean could tell you all the exercises you could do to make a circuit, you know, a variable <laughs> on a day. And that's where he would come in. And, you know, depending on your level, okay, you're good for three, you're good for 10, you're good for 20. And, you know, change it around. So, but I think the key concept is just get out, start doing stuff. And, you know, depending on where you started prior to this, you know, all this uh, stuff that's been going on and just carry on and I'll keep you healthy and mentally and physically. Yeah, I think that I would echo a lot of what Vic said. The variety of movement uh, is so important. And I think sometimes that can, you know, overwhelm people because they, they want to know, you know, what's, what's right for them or what's the best or what should I be prioritizing. But it is really a blend of, of all of those things. Um, and taking into consideration, you know, what your daily needs are. So if you're not, you know, participating in high-intensity sport, you might not need to train like an Olympic athlete, but maybe you just need enough ability to reach your hands up over your head and, you know, open the cupboard door, or carry your kid around, or, you know, complete your daily tasks. So taking a, a good stock at what it is you do on a daily basis and then kind of letting your training kind of be shaped around that so that you're able to be supported in whatever goals you might have and also, again, in whatever it is that you do uh, as you go about your life. In our episode on corporate wellness, Paul McCloskey talked about his personal approach to achieving wellness goals while Veronica Marston spoke about the trends she's seeing in the corporate wellness space, in particular for physical activity. Uh, we're very clear in terms of you know, our personal objective, where we wanted to get to. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to be healthy, we wanted to be fit. Uh, and, and frankly, you know, through our lives, you know, we've, we, we've traveled around the world, we've lived in lots of different environments. Um, and we wanted to be able to continue to be as active as that in, in retirement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd hate to, you know, there's so many stories you hear of people who've worked all their lives, retired, and then, you know, in a very short time become ill and, and then can't enjoy all those things they've been putting off. Mm-hmm. So we're very clear about our personal objectives. You know, we wanted to be healthy, wanted to be fit, uh, and able to do the things and continue to do the things that we enjoy. I think diet came later. And there are some great resources online where you can, you know, analyze, you know, at a very simple level what you eat and look at the balance of what you're eating. Um, frankly, that opened my eyes and I started to change not only what I was eating, but when I was eating it. Um, so it wasn't just a matter of calorie counting. It was looking at, you know, the balance of protein and carbohydrates and fiber and everything else. Once I had a, a good understanding of that, I had a pretty good sense of, 
what meals I could eat and, and, and maybe the treats I could have or shouldn't have and was able to incorporate them. Then I think uh, the next stage for me was around exercising in a manner which gave me better all-round workouts. I think all of us can be guilty of doing the things you know, in exercise or in life that we enjoy and neglecting everything else. And uh, frankly, having a trainer, somebody who could work alongside and help me with my objectives, introduce me to different exercises and kind of, as I walked through the door, um, kind of assess whether this was going to be a tough day or an easier day. Uh, that was really, really helpful. And I've got a kind of inventory now of um, workouts that I can call upon. Uh, one of the key trends that I'm seeing is people doing more with their families. Like I look outside my office window, and particularly if I'm sitting here on a weekend, I cannot believe the number of families that I see out walking, um, cycling, skateboarding. As a matter of fact, and I don't know what it's like in Newfoundland, but in Ontario, you cannot buy a bike. If you wanted to buy a bike tomorrow, you would probably be on a wait list for earliest November, December of this year. So that's been a really interesting trend, and we're finding that um, there's more of an interest for family fitness activities. So one of our, you know, a lot of our staff are actually teaching fam, we call them fam jam sessions. So it's little exercise classes that you can actually do with your family. And those have been really popular because people want to do things together, and they're with their families a lot more. You know? But their right. family is their bubble, and they're looking for things, they're looking for opportunities of things that they can do together. So I think that's been a really positive trend. In another episode, we spoke to Shane Monahan, local fitness expert who specializes in seniors' health. He talked about the importance of having the right guidance. We also talked with Ross Travers, who's a gardening expert, and he shared the value of getting outside as an alternate form of healthy physical activity. No matter what you're, you're doing, make sure you get some instruction. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying you have to come you know, see me, well, I, yeah. I'd love that, but, <laughs> you know, yeah. there's lots of information out there, um, you know, make sure your source is reliable, that you're, you know, you're getting your, your exercises from a workouts, that type of thing, somebody reputable, and just make sure it's something that you're going to be able to do consistently and actually progress with, mm. because at the end of the day, I mean, you, you never want to do anything aimlessly without a, an end result in mind. Right. Yes, there's no question about the health benefits of uh, working outside in the garden because, um, uh, you know, uh, it's been shown that uh, gardening is a great reliever of stress. Mm. You know, if you're, if you're growing something and watching it grow, tending to it, and that you tend to uh, forget about some of your worries and that sort of thing. And the, um, the other thing, of course, is the exercise because uh, there's um, many, many uh, studies showing that uh, exercise, which is uh, not strenuous exercise, but uh, really improves your uh, well-being. For me, uh, especially after a long winter with uh, relatively uh, not so much activity, then uh, getting out into the garden and that really gives you a boost. The studies that have been done on uh, on gardening, there's no question about the health benefits.
Lastly, for exercise, we had a huge focus on enjoying nature and we talked to adventurer Rene Ritter about what he feels the benefits of exercising outdoors are, as well as Elke Detmer, who is a founder of the East Coast Trail. We even went mountain biking with Adam Churchill, who shared how that sport is good for both your body and your mind. You would expect somebody who's like, okay, I'm going to start hiking this summer. I'm going to get out. I'm going to start hitting the trails that I've heard about my whole life living in living in uh, Newfoundland. Uh, what would they expect to see for changes in their health and their fitness if they started getting out there? Hmm. Yeah, I can only obviously speak for myself, but for me personally, um, I find that getting out there and becoming more active is, uh, you know, I see the weight drop off fairly uh, fairly readily. Um, uh, I'm always happy to, to see that. Um, I just find that my mood is better. Uh, my level of energy is higher than if I'm stuck in an office for two weeks doing paperwork and strategic plans. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a physical and a mental benefit for sure. It's, uh, you know, equates to sleeping better. I come home and I sleep way better if I've been outside all day than if I've been in the office all day. So, um, it's a multifaceted kind of benefit for me um, personally. I think sometimes people are, I've seen a lot of people in the trail. I hike a lot myself and mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of people. I, uh, I think it's one of their, it's in their first summers hiking. Mm -hmm. um, should they be intimidated by it? Is there ways to start off easy and then get into it a little bit more? Well, what, I, what I do with my hikers when they come here, mm -hmm. like, and like I said, they come from all over the world, but mostly from Canada, mm -hmm. like mostly from Toronto, Calgary, Vancouver, you know, sometimes from Nova Scotia, but mm -hmm. uh, I really give them a test usually. My test hike is from here to Cape St. Francis. It's called moderate. Mm -hmm. It's not too easy. It's not too uh, too difficult. Mm -hmm. And you can come back on the dirt road. Right. So, so far, everybody has managed to get to Cape St. Francis and come back on the dirt road. Uh, some people, it was not enough. They wanted to do more. And now that we have, uh, you know, another option, you can go on to Cooper Cove. Like, it's, it's really nice. It has options. Mm -hmm. And uh, others were saying, oh, no, this is a bit much. So I know the next few days. Some people, you know, are like a four-hour a four hike is, is good for a day. Yeah. And others want to do more. I got you. Why is the seat not padded at all? Maybe I've been... <laughs> away from the gym a little too long. All right, Adam, this is a health and wellness show. So obviously health is a big aspect of this. What are some of the benefits people get from this? So, I, I mean, I, to be completely honest, um, the health benefits are kind of secondary to me. Like, it, uh, the, it's the, the fun, the adrenaline, the challenge that really drives me out here. It, but the health benefits, it, like, it, you know, you almost don't even notice um, that you're exercising. Right. And uh, so you get great uh, cardiovascular uh, training, um, it's a full body workout. So, you know, a lot of people think that it's, it's all in your legs, but mm. really mountain biking when you're, you're navigating, you know, some of these rocky rooty sections or off camber areas, it's all about your core and, and being able to kind of navigate the bike, um, and navigate the trail, um, uh, and, and keep that balance in all, you know, different awkward uh, positions. There's definitely a lot of fine motor skills to keep that bike straight, especially when it's moving up and down over rocks and stuff. Absolutely, yep. Yeah. Yeah, and so you can almost tailor it. So sometimes, you know, I want to come out for a nice leisurely ride and I'll just keep my pace down. But 
Um, a lot of times, you know, I want to, I want to, you know, I'm using Strava. I want to go for one of those KOMs or. Uh, What's KOM? Sorry. King of the Mountain. Or, oh. Or QOM is Queen of the I Mountain. Because I saw that on your website. <laughs> like, there's like uh, everybody's loading their Strava, so like it's almost like you guys have these informal competitions going on, which yeah. has to be a huge driver for people to do better and actually get fitter. Yeah, and even just for like as a driver for yourself, you know, like pushing yourself to do a little bit better, a little bit faster, and yeah. uh, you know, it, it it's great for it has little segments and you can go up and you kind of repeat them and. You know, it pushes you to be um, to be better and to you know get into better shape and, and improve your fitness. Mental health affects over eighty percent of us throughout our lifetime. We've been very lucky to have some amazing guests on talking about this important topic. In this segment, Jesse Sterling will walk us through the benefits of meditation and relate his own personal experiences with the recent pandemic. And then we'll hear from Reggie Lawrence of Satori Elite Athletics, who explains why mindfulness should be a part of our day-to-day lives. I think you're absolutely right. This is the most stressful, uncertain time of our lives. And I think at the beginning of the pandemic, of the lockdown, of the shelter-in-place, there was a little bit of a spirit of, look, if you don't learn a second language and how to play an instrument and get a six-pack, you're just a loser. You don't have your act together. You've been waiting for this free time your whole life, and here's the free time. What are you going to do with it? I'm really happy that the emphasis isn't on that anymore because I have been so emotional during these past six months. I've gone through denial. I've gone through a lot of anger that the situation was happening, and I can't take my two-year-old daughter to the zoo and to the beach, and how can hiking trails be closed? And then went into a real depression for a couple of weeks. And, and, you know, I'm just finally at that acceptance place. Now, the point being is that you are allowed to feel stressed out by this. This is a stressful, uncertain situation. But what I always remind myself is this, well, I hear my teacher's voice in my head saying, the world has never offered peace. The world has always been a place of struggle, of gain, loss, up, down, victory, defeat, happy and sad. So it's just the the carousel is spinning a little crazier and a little wilder than usual, but it's still that whole dance of illusion, the dance of the Maya, as they call it in India. All that is still going on with the world. So it makes it even more important than ever to take those couple minutes a day to climb inside yourself and take the journey. Because if, if we're financially unstable, it doesn't cost anything to do. We can't be with other people. This is something you can do by yourself. So don't try to be a perfectionist. The most important thing is just to try it. Sit comfortably. Close your eyes. You have two eyelids to close, two lungs to breathe deep, and just take two minutes. You'll feel wonderful, and you'll see that two minutes will grow to five, will grow to seven. Soon you'll be wanting to do it first thing in the morning and the last thing before you go to bed and throughout the day just to rest your nervous system. Even our eyes, which spend so much time on computer screens now, giving your eyes a break, oh, you'll just feel great. I encourage everyone to try it. And if just one person starts meditating based off my talk, oh, you've made me so happy. Mission accomplished. You were one of the few people that did recognize what Satori meant when you wrote to me, when you saw, I like your name. So a lot of people didn't know, but when you research it, it says to be aware. Um, so with nutrition, it gives you the awareness to start paying attention to what you eat. 
um, when you do activities, whether it's even just walking down the street, which I do frequently and I teach people here, um, is to pay attention to your posture as you walk. Pay attention, you can start from the bottom up, which is usually a good way. How does your heel hit? How does your ankle move? How does your knee move? How does your hip move? Like, and then by the time you get to the top, you're really doing this right and you've discovered your own body and yourself, all those things. So that comes from Satori or waking up. So instead of walking down the street and being mind, mindless, which is what we've been trained to do basically, um, you start to pay attention. And when you're driving on the street, just the fact of if you put down the window and feel the wind, just for the act of feeling the wind, you're waking up and you're starting to participate more in life instead of react to life. Because life can throw everything and you get to react, react, react. And then as soon as you start waking up into your workout or into your biking or into your driving or into brushing your teeth, everything. It's the more you wake up, the more healthy you get because you're releasing all these stresses of thinking, thinking about got to do something or what happened then and analyzing. Everyone's so detached from what's really around them. And the easiest way, if anyone wants to know how, is to just use your senses. So at any point, say, what is that? What is it? What, what do I hear right now? Just what is it that you hear? Listen, it could be the lights buzzing. And you say, what do I feel? So when you're driving, you put down the window, you're feeling the wind. You use your senses. When you eat, are you paying attention? Are you taking your time? Are you enjoying it? Or are you talking and, and not listening or doing work? So the biggest thing that I think that I could ever offer anyone really is what we are, which is just wake up and learn, learn how to do that. Music has transformative qualities that can change our state of mind. So who better to talk about it than Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter and mental health advocate Amelia Curran, along with Donnie Cody, musician and creative mind behind DC Design House. Both of these talented musicians are co-founders of the mental health advocacy group, It's Mental. Can you tell me about the medicinal value and like the, the value that music can bring mm. to people during you know stressful times? It's no newsflash to anyone that music is good for you, you know, and... Everybody loves music, and that healing power of music is, is so very real, and it doesn't mean playing music. It doesn't mean writing your own songs. It doesn't have to mean any of that. Not that you couldn't. I mean, really, you can get a degree in songwriting, but I don't know why you would. <laughs> the thing is, music is good for you. Anyway, every evening here, me and the toddler have a dance party to whatever is on the radio or whatever, you know, Motown collection I've got going on. We have a dance party every evening. Sometimes I don't want to. Sometimes she doesn't want to. We do it anyway, and we certainly feel better for it. This is the power of music, right? Music is putting that in our lives. And I would suggest dance parties <laughs> in your home, even by yourself. All this dance like nobody's watching, you know, from from however long ago that's real now this is that moment this is that moment for you to dance like nobody's watching and i think you should do it every day it's really good for you and like they say in many recovery rooms it's the moments when you really don't want to do it that it's the most important for you to do it and that means go outside for a walk when you least want to and have a little boogie in your kitchen when you least want to and that is really healing back to what you were saying about um, music and how important it is for us all. I think it's, it's critical. My friend can sing. She can't play an instrument. She can't 
write a rhyme, but she can play a mean stereo. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and when she said it to me, I laughed. I that and one that's too, the yeah. funniest thing I've ever heard, you know. Do you have any stories or any examples of like when you see music be transformative for people for their mental health? Like oh my an God. example. Yes. No? Go for so it. So many. So many. Um, every time you see someone entranced by a performance, they're watching. When you see someone shed a tear at the song they're hearing, when you see someone read um, or recite a line of a famous song and you see the connection and feel the connection in their voice, that's music. That's, to me, powerful. World-class adventurer and professor T.A. Loeffler knows a thing or two about the power of nature for our mental health. She was joined by Dr. Hassan Khalili, who's also a world traveler and shared his professional perspective on what we can do to stay mentally well during challenging times. You had, you had sort of a real eye-opening experience when you wrote Nature. T.A., what, what do you see when you, when you look over these amazing vistas from on top of a, a mountain? Like, what, what, what does that do for you? I think it reminds me of my, um, of my place in the world. Sometimes I, I often feel very small when I'm out in the, uh, out seeing those amazing landscapes, but I also see, feel very big. Uh, I get in touch with, um, the vastness of our world and, and often return with a sense of huge amount of possibility. And what's interesting is I was thinking about this yesterday as I was out for a ski up in, uh, Pippi park that, for me, sometimes I get it in those amazing big landscapes like Antarctica, and, and sometimes I get it in um, the back of Pippi Park. So uh, there's also mm-hmm. a sense of, of renewal and possibility. And uh, sometimes I just like to look at the blue sky, and it kind of uh, brings a sense of, of hope. And um, it, it's definitely a huge part of stress reduction for me. Dr. Cooley, we were talking about negativity and how uh, nature can help sort of reduce that negativity in our day-to-day. Let's just continue where we started off and tell us a little bit more about that. You know, uh, uh, when we are, our brain, especially subconscious brain, filled up with uh, problems and past problems and and, uh, worry for the future and all all, all of these things, then we are, our body keep getting 911 calls so my body will uh, get tensed up and uh, and that's the reason a lot of we start eating junk food uh, we start eating booze you know drinking booze in order to go to calm mistake so mm-hmm. we are all looking for that calm mistake when we go to nature whatever it is in in uh, in uh, trees and in, in nature, in land, in birds and in the air, whatever it is, it pulls those, those negative energy out of us. Probably you heard, you heard uh, I heard this before, nature deficit disorder. Huh. That's the, a good one. Yeah, because a lot of people have nature deficit disorder, and it's similar, uh, similar to, because if you clogged up, like we needed liquid drain to pull, pull all this negativity out, out of our system. Nature is liquid drain Make us, when we go to, this, to, to, uh, to uh, nature, especially if you smell it, if you allow the, 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 the and sometimes 
you look at the little child or little sleeping, how soundly asleep. You look at a, 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 a bird, how soundly they play because they don't have negativity in them. Negativity is, is, is a learned behavior through our, so, and the people who are negative, they think they are pessimists, they think they are realists. They are not realists, they are, they are just negative. And especially nowadays, we hear more more negativity in technology it, uh, and the TV media content add, added to it. Acknowledge that, that we are all victims of this, but don't validate them. Instead, use uh, any possibility. To, to make yeah. it better. You'll hear me say this a lot, but nutrition is easily one of the most complex topics in wellness. We had some amazing guests share some tips, tricks, and science around how you can eat better. Our first guest on the topic was Adriana Smallwood. She's a registered dietitian, and she visited us a few times to talk about nutrition. In one of those conversations, she talked about the food guide and what changes have come into place since it was revised last year. Um, like I mentioned in the first part of the show, the new food guide wasn't just based on food. And I'll get to that in a minute, but it was more based on the habits behind eating. And like I said, in my practice and in a lot of other dietitians' practice, we see that, you know, it's not always the things that people are eating, but it's the habits behind them. And as a society, we're really busy. Sometimes we're skipping meals. Other times we're relying very heavily on convenience foods because, again, we're busy and we're not taking the time to eat food. And the biggest thing that we found was that food skills across Canada widely have decreased. So the ability to cook, to put ingredients together, to know what to do with those things, it's very heavily decreased in the um, in the new generation. So if you look at Canada's Food Guide now, it does absolutely talk about food and the different food groups, but also it goes into those healthy eating habits, being mindful um, of your eating. So making sure that when you are sitting down to the table, there's no distractions, there's no cell phones, um, there's no tablets, there's no TVs, because it's really hard to tune into what you're eating and focus on the food when you're being distracted. And, you know, like I said earlier, that, that really impacts our ability to see when we're full. I mean, how many people have shoveled through their plate in five minutes and realized they're so full they're sick because they ate too fast and they weren't paying attention to what they're eating like it's it's not an uncommon thing it's ironic i used to, when i first started i was a personal trainer and uh be, between clients you'd have about five minutes and so i ate well nine tenths of my meal uh <laughs> standing up and within five minutes and just getting it in you know and and i had to train myself to actually be more mindful when i was eating and, and dedicate the time to it yeah i agree with that Exactly. So, I mean, one big thing about, you know, healthier eating is being mindful of what you're doing. The other thing is, is cooking more often. So we're, we're relying very heavily on, you know, processed pre-cooked foods. Make your own if, if you don't, you know, if you can't have the time every single day, that's fine. You know, everybody has at least an hour during the week, whether it's a Tuesday evening or a Sunday afternoon, you have an hour where you can sit there and you can chop a few veggies, you can clean some fruit, you can put it in little containers in the fridge, make a space in your fridge or dedicate a freezer or sorry, um, a crisper uh, to your snack food. So cut up some cheese for crackers or um Wash your veggies and portion them out. Get some. Get your quarter cup measure. A quarter cup of nuts or seeds is equal to a serving. Get your quarter cup measure. Make your own trail mix. Pour it in those little snack-sized Ziploc baggies. Put it in the cupboard in a little um, area that you can designate for snack things. 
it might seem like not very much time, but in an hour, you can prep enough stuff that it definitely makes a huge impact in the rest of your week. Who in Newfoundland and Labrador doesn't know Alan Hocko? But what you may not know about him is that he takes his wellness really seriously. Whether it's growing his own food or sticking to a nutrition plan, he talked about the challenges he faced when learning how to eat better. I guess would be the key fundamentals that people need to pay attention to. Obviously, moderation is one of your beliefs. Moderation is not necessarily a belief, but it's a, it's yeah, one of the guidelines. Necessity, yeah. Great. It's Good one point. of the guidelines. Yeah, okay. gotcha. It's definitely definitely not one of my strong suits, but it's yeah. one you got to follow. I, and it's really tough to understand. It's like a it's like a train track or something. You know, you're riding, and you're just so used to going that one way that it's so impossible for you to con conceive of another way that is like just slightly different but so much more beneficial for you. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to get your head around the fact that, but it is pretty simple. When I explain to people, it's like, don't eat more than the size of your fist and carbs for lunch. Don't eat any for supper. Yeah. Uh, you know, d you know, don't have 300 almonds, yes. have 30. <laughs> yeah, right. And yeah. you know what I mean? Like people think, well, I'll have, well, I'm, I'm, well, I'm hungry. So I ate 378 almonds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, well, yeah. well, it's still, it is healthy, but. <laughs> But so moderation is huge. It's yeah. like portioning out. The other thing that that I is a is a part of the groundbreaking sort of thing for me is that you eat small portions many times throughout the day mm -hmm. to keep yourself. And omega threes is like mind blowing to kind of wave off that hunger. And you're not hungry. You're so we're so used to particularly here. My family growing up. I mean, we just is like the Simpsons, right? Sit, sit, not my mother, of course, but the siblings of my old man. We'd sit down for supper and it was like, you know, and it's hard to kind of train yourself out of that. Mm -hmm. So now, you know, and you, you don't know when the signals are to tell you that you're not full because you're so fast. You're just so busy into it. So training yourself to eat slower. Next, we chatted with Dr. Farrell Cal, who studies food addiction, along with registered dietitian Jessica Tong. And finally, we'll end our nutrition segment foraging with local food expert Sean Dawson as we search for local edible plants along the coast in Pooch Cove. Uh, Farrell, why don't you walk us through what makes specific foods so addictive? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a really great point. Uh, very often people don't realize why they're drawn to certain types of foods. And we're not going to say food addiction is equal across the board. Uh, I know for you know, certain individuals I've worked with, it's more sour, it's more sweet, it's more umami, it's all kinds of attributes of food that really seem to light up those centers for them. But overall, though, when we look at it, things that are heavy in sugar are, are causing those, those consequences and stating that they're more addictive than other types of foods. So, you know, we need to make sure that we realize that the intakes of those foods um, are causing, again, substantial issues, and it's going to be much harder for us to, to kind of pull away from it. So, yeah, it's, it's a, a trying to find a way to kind of simplify the, the circumstance, but it, it's quite difficult. It's quite complex. To think about why it is that someone's more prone to go after one food versus another and, and how it is that we're addicted to those types of foods. Yeah. Well, there are some big culprits, you know, the fat, the sugar, and the salt. Like, let's hit those three. Like, Jessica, what are the risk factors of consuming those three nutrients in mass quantities? I think mass quantities of these foods, they promote weight gain. Uh, and we know that, you know, weight gain, obesity is a common risk factor for these metabolic diseases. So when we eat foods that are high in fat, sugar, salt, you know, it just, it drives that risk up. And another thing is that it can just cause our energy levels to plummet, which 
in a lot of cases, you know, it can reduce your likelihood uh, exercising, of moving around, which then contributes to the weight issue. So it's a bit of a domino effect. Most of the time, I find that these foods, they really don't deliver a lot of uh, nutritional value. But again, they hit a lot of those taste receptors, those, those things that we are craving. It, it really hits those notes. So we like those foods. We get satisfaction from those foods. But really, they're not doing much for us from a health perspective. I'm definitely, uh, my, my expertise is from food, but food is medicine, so like, you yeah. know. How'd you get into it? I've always been into it, man. My, uh, I grew up going up to my dance on the southern shore, and uh, she used to take me berry picking, and yeah. she used to send me out picking dandelions for a Sunday dinner, and she'd, she'd blanch them all and freeze them for the year. Where's the southern shore? Calvert. Oh, yeah, okay. Every, everybody's yeah. foraging up there. It's just, just they don't call it that, you know? What would you tell people about the benefits for health foraging? Um, well, like I said, I've I've grown up being into this without knowing, so I've always been doing it. And my my uh, passion with this is really in food, like uh, cooking and eating these things. But uh, food is medicine, so like I I know I can speak for it that this by eating like this really makes me feel good. So yeah. like you know if I eat something greasy or something now or fast food, like it really it really makes you not feel so hot. So yeah, you know it's super good for your mental health for your for your body, yeah, for your soul. Yeah, and I think we all need a little bit of it these days. In the last part of our show, we'll visit with experts in health as they talk about some important subjects and the role that health and wellness plays in the severity and incidence of these conditions. First, we'll talk with Dr. Matthew Falwell and Dr. Stephen Quigley, who are both cancer physicians. I'm Steve. You know, for sure. I mean, if there's any patients of mine that are out there listening, I think they've probably heard my spiel on this a number of times in the clinic. But essentially, you know, when I sign people up for surgery, usually it's for marathon-type surgery, you know, operations that take 8, 9, 12 hours. And often with cancer cachexia or cancer weight loss on board, they're in a protein, you know, in a deficient state. And so I tell people they have to you know, increase their protein in their diet, increase their healthy food intake, you know, really work at looking at nutrition as sort of king for getting through this problem. In addition, you know, I, I request of my patients to do 20 to 30 minutes of physical ac activity every day leading up, you know, before and after surgery. Uh, and there's many studies that show that even 20 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes of exercise before a major operation can lead to uh, decreased length of stay and improved outcomes with decreased complications. So the point of nutrition and exercise and how it relates to both physical and mental well-being heading into a major operation is not something I take lightly. Right. Okay, so right on to that. And not only surgery, but Matt, you talked about other forms of treatment. How is somebody coming in strong? How would they fare? How would they fare better, I guess, if compared to somebody yeah, who's more healthy? Without a doubt. And it, it, uh, try to keep people doing as much they want to be doing as possible. Uh, don't necessarily let a disease define you. Um, there's obviously things that you have to avoid in terms of risks if your immune system is compromised through the various chemotherapies and other treatments. But the more you can keep people doing their day-to-day -day and what they actually want to be doing, they'll be more compliant with treatment. They'll get through it often a little better. 
and it's something where as long as we get through the appropriate treatments, the outcomes should be as uh, as we expect. But if there's any barriers to any of those steps along the way, people will have worse outcomes. Diabetes is one of the most prevalent health conditions in Newfoundland and around the world. We had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Hapreech Bajaj, who helped develop the clinical practice guidelines for diabetes in Canada. He was joined by Kevin Peters, a local business leader whose daughter was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, who talks about their journey, not only through diabetes, but also by starting a charity based on that experience. What are the risk factors people should really pay attention to for diabetes? Yeah, so the weight uh, is the major uh, driver of uh, type 2 diabetes, as I mentioned. Um, uh, now, uh, it's, 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 uh, there's a lot of uh, issues that go along with the weight. Of course, uh, we've seen obesity uh, in, in uh, every province uh, increasing over time. If you look at uh, Ontario or Newfoundland or if you look at British Columbia, uh, you know, anywhere um, obesity is increasing. And the reason uh, for that is is uh, is environmental, which is that we are we are leading less active lives, and also we are consuming much more calories uh, than we used to consume. Uh, most of this is prepackaged uh, in the fridge or uh, at a you know processed uh, like at a coffee shop, uh, could be Tim Hortons, McDonald's, etc. Uh, and 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 that is probably what is driving that uh, that obesity epidemic and then driving the diabetes type 2 epidemic as well. What really hit me was that all the things that I was learning it very quickly was healthy things for everybody. Mm -hmm. Like, And I said, imagine everybody counted every carb before they ate it. Mm -hmm. And they knew how many carbs would be the limit. And imagine they drank more water and imagine they manage their lifestyle to ensure that they had the appropriate amount of exercise in there, how healthy would our society be? Mm -hmm. And so when I kind of crossed the, the two together and said, well, type one diabetes and the challenges, but what the opportunities it could bring in a healthier lifestyle, diabetes for a day was born. And uh, what further reinforced that was as I only ate 45 grams of carbs per meal and 15 grams per snack and absolutely no junk, no sugar, because my daughter couldn't. This is December 1st before Christmas. Right. So this is like trial work. by fire. This is work functions. This is Christmas parties. This is treats, desserts. And I'm not even having a chocolate, nothing because I can't. My yeah. daughter can't. Yeah. I dropped 20 pounds <laughs> during Christmas, like, You're the during only Christmas ever and New Year's. Yeah. Right. So two months roll around, I'm down 20 pounds. I've always had high blood pressure gone. Hmm. No more high blood pressure medication. I started sleeping better. I started feeling better. I started getting more active. I started thinking much more clearly. And the change was so amazing, so fast. So I had to share that message. Mm -hmm. And what I did within the, the business community is I challenged business leaders to go on this type one journey with me mm -hmm. for 90 days. And said, live like my daughter lives for 90 days, learn about how to live a healthier lifestyle and see what happens. The last few guests are ones who are going to talk about something that's really important to all of us, and that's injuries. We had Dr. David Bame, stretching expert and Jill Holden, yoga instructor, to talk about the importance of flexibility. And then we chatted with free skier Dave Whalen and physiotherapist John Scapelin about recovery from injuries, which can be daunting for many people. We'll start with you, Dave. 
maybe you could take it from your perspective why stretching is important for folks. Well, stretching is, is quite important for everybody, and you don't have to be an athlete to worry about stretching. Most of us have quite shortened muscles and tendons, and that affects our, what I'm going to call our functional performance. Now, normally, again, when you think of athletes, you think of them sprinting or doing things, but you know, in our everyday lives, we have to uh, reach for different things out of the cupboard in the kitchen, or we might uh, have to uh, reach up and step over two stairs or over a rock. Even just bending over and picking up a book or a uh, piece of paper, you can hurt your back. So if you're too stiff, and uh, if you don't do the, you know, you're, you're not thinking one day and you just bend over at the waist and try and pick up a yep. book off the floor, you can hurt your back. So it's mm-hmm. really important to stretch just for those very simple things because stretching will reduce that resistance to the movement. Stretching helps to relax your muscles and, and it'll decrease the possibility that you can injure your muscles and your tendons. Right. Jill, you have a different background. What do you think the benefits of stretching are for folks? I think for stretching, we can think of it more, you know, or in addition to the physical side of things. So, yes, as Dave touched on, you know, if we don't use it, we kind of lose it. And especially as we age and perhaps our lifestyle or the fact that we tend to sit or be in a, you know, a flexion posture for a lot of our days. So, you know, we can think about it from definitely the physical side of things, but also you can think about it from the mind stretch. So if you are taking time to work on yourself and to physically be active and to feel better from, you know, taking a simple stretch out of your desk during your work day, a conscious breath, that does so much more than just the physical side of things. So you can think of it as stretching your mind and um, your outlook on life, the more active and the more flexible you become, you feel that in every aspect of your being. So I feel it's physical, it's the mental health, sometimes a spiritual stretching in terms of how you can change your outlook to look at things from a different perspective. You went through your rehab. Can you walk us through what like a day or a week looked like as you were recovering? Yeah, it was challenging. I mean, you know, my recovery was uh, quite long you know it was it was the better part of two years really when it, when it was all said and done um to be honest to this day I, I still have to maintain my injury you know there's a lot still a lot of stretching and strength training involved to this day and this is five years later um but you know at, at the beginning um it was it was very heavy you know i was when i was repatriated back to canada um i was at st Clair's hospital five days a week for anywhere from three to five hours a day with their physio department. And then away from that, I was, you know, massage and physio a couple other times, as well as two or three hours of my own time at home, kind of doing doing my own exercises. Um, you know, that progressively changed over time um, as you kind of get better, you know, and people actually kind of need to understand this is as you get better, then you're going to be less reliant on your physiotherapist and your support group and more reliant on yourself. And that's that change. And to be honest, it was quite difficult for me at first because I felt like I was gaining so much out of the physio and, and, and all my therapies that when I started pulling back, I actually had a little bit of a hard time with that. And there was a bit of a mental adjustment there that had to happen for me. And that mental adjustment continued. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's the, uh, it comes back to that, uh, that concept that uh, you mentioned this there earlier about 
yeah, people with more chronic pain, they just sort of live with it. They just assume this is how I, I'm, I have back pain because that's just how, how it is. They're, everybody around me seems to have it too, but it, you don't have to live in pain. That's the big part of that. Um, and the stages that people go through, absolutely, is that there's a certain amount often of, of improvement just by, by keeping on the move, that sort of thing. But from there, things can slow down to a certain extent, and you need a bit of education, and, and you need to physically trigger and get the body moving to uh, start to have um, have that improvement kick back in again. And a lot of that comes down to other clinicians, having uh, having um, other, whether it be physiotherapists, chiropractor, massage therapists, somebody like that involved. Uh, and I kind of tell people as well, keep in mind with these things that when you're looking for a therapist, a few things I like to point out to people is that, you know, look for somebody who's from the day from day one discussing a discharge plan and what's going to happen uh, to get the person moving forward. Um, and also looking at somebody who has an active component of their treatment, because as we've been talking about here, you need to take a part of that as the client. And if your clinician is not giving you anything to do at home, that's usually a bit of an indication um, that it, it maybe is a bit of a slow recovery. The, that active component, the research states that very clearly. You need to be involved in your own care. That's a huge part of it. Well, that's today's show, and that's our first six months summed up. We've had some amazing guests, and hopefully we've all learned something along the way. Thank you for letting me be your guide through wellness. I look forward to the next six months. Well, I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall, and we'll see you back here next week for another episode of the Health and Wellness Show on your VOCM.